Welcome to Story and Horse, a podcast where we hear stories from creative lives. Meet new people, hear about their challenges and triumphs, and get inspired to move forward with your creativity. Now here's your host, Hilary Adams. Hello, this is Hilary Adams, founder of Story and Horse. Before we begin today's episode, I wanted to let you know that it contains mature themes, including specific references to sexual violence, which may not be appropriate for all listeners. Hello, thanks for joining us here on the Story and Horse podcast. My name is Hilary Adams. I am the founder of Story and Horse. Story and Horse is all about empowering creative people to live abundant lives. Here on the podcast, we enjoy stories from creative lives. And today, I'm very excited to welcome Amanta Scott. Amanta is joining us from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Welcome, Amanta. Thank you. Hi. Hi. So um, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? I know you do a lot of very (laughs) uh, different things across a bunch of different disciplines. Sure. Well, yes, I'm a multidisciplinary artist, and um, I come from generations of refugees, philosophers, artists, musicians, storytellers, and human rights activists. Um, I've traveled a lot, and I learn languages because I like connecting with people, and their stories inevitably inform my work. So, specifically, I explore the relevance of archetypes, symbols, and perception to problematic issues in our society today. My work encompasses encaustic paintings, interactive sculpture installations, audio, video, photography, music, dance, performance, workshops, and always dialogue with people of diverse cultures, ages, and abilities. I think I like talking with people. (laughs) You just learn so much. Um, I strive always to create meaningful opportunities for people to see art, to consider how it relates to their lives, sharing stories, find healing, and discuss how we can address urgent social issues as a community. So currently, I'm painting visionary contemporary women whose stories echo those of mythological heroines and whom I see as drawing down the strength and resilience of powerful female archetypes, such as Medusa or Persephone or Artemis or Demeter. And if you want to see these, obviously, this is a it's an audio medium that we're in here. Um, if people would like to see these, they can see them on your website. Yes, or on YouTube or on Instagram. So. And I think I remember during the um, earlier in the pandemic time, um, I got to see some of your work in a virtual gallery. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, that was really fun. It was a way we could walk through. It was really well done. We could walk through and really um, sort of experience the art as if it was hung on walls. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I put that up. That was, uh, I like virtual galleries and I'm thinking that the virtual gallery is a, 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 a beautiful way to engage people. I've, I've actually been talking with um, the Ben Uri gallery in London because they're entirely virtual. And I, I just think they're brilliant. I think it's such a great way to engage people. And I know that the Louvre started doing that and, um, other galleries have started. They're they're you know lumbering along, getting there, but I just think that's brilliant. The more the more visitors can go in and, and access things through through the internet, the better. Because kids are glued to their phones anyway, so why not get them in there? And and when the when the virtual experience is so tangible, when you can 
like in my, the one I designed, you could actually go in and zoom in and get up right close. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Um, Yeah, I feel that's important because people want to go in. And then I I like, I wanted to go more and more into augmented reality and virtual reality. I want to get people right in there so that, that the, I'd love it that the paintings would sort of come to life and that the videos, like all my, all my paintings link via QR code to my website because the website is really active. And um, so I'll have videos. I painted um, uh, Tarana Burke who started the Me Too movement. And so in her case, I've got links to um, uh, helplines and uh, issues. Same with the Black Lives Matter movement. I painted uh, Patrice Colors and, um, I've got links to workbooks and, and um, tools for healing or tools for dealing with people and so on. So I feel it's very important to, to very much connect the art to the social issues. And that's what my website's trying to do. I'd love mm-hmm. to, I'm, I'm going into augmented reality to figure out more of how I can make this more real for people and more engaging. And I know you mentioned when we were talking a little bit before we jumped on together, um, you mentioned that on your website, there's a, a food for thought area in addition to this, which can you tell us a little bit about that while we're talking about interactivity with art? <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I, I created the food for thought uh, section because I was intrigued by the way we see women in art. So this page details all the different ways we see women. So we see women raped, we see women watched in the bath, we see them watched sleeping, we see them idealized, we see them as victims of violence, it just goes on and on, Uh, weeping, whatever. And uh, each of these pages, like there's this one page, uh, Food for Thought, that has everything summarized, and then you click on any one of these pictures, and then you go to more pages that show you all of these artworks, and they link to the galleries worldwide. And then they also link to the women I've been painting so that you can see uh, illustrated the story of Demeter or Persephone or whoever it is. And that's um, so um, pivoting over to stories. Um, do you have a creative theme story that you'd like to share? I can tell you what triggered the whole project because it was a big deal for me. Well, I was in Rome and I was visiting the Borghese Gallery, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous gallery. You got to go. And uh, I came upon Bernini's amazing sculpture, The Rape of Proserpina, which, if you don't know the work, is a larger-than-life marble sculpture of Persephone struggling with Hades as he's pulling her into the underworld. And you see her body twisting in an effort to escape his grip, and the fingers are digging into her flesh. I mean, it's really real. And the tears running down her face. It's really harrowing to look at. But what amazed me was that everyone there in the gallery was either taking pictures and just sort of wandering around looking at other stuff, or they were marveling at Bernini's skill in rendering the bodies in marble. Mm-hmm. And no one said anything about the theme, a woman being raped right in front of us. And I was horrified by that. And then, so I wandered around the rest of the gallery sort of in a daze, taking note of things and seeing lots of women being raped. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then later in Venice, I found myself in front of um, a piece by Hieronymus, Hieronymus Bosch, Hieronymus Bosch, the Wilgefortis triptych, which is his painting, which depicts, among other things, a woman on a cross. Mm-hmm. Now, I hadn't seen too many women on crosses unless they were being burned. So I moved closer to read the text. Um, my ancestors fled Spain to escape the witch burning. So I'm always curious. Um, so the thing with me is if I don't know something, I have to find out. 
And the story of Wilgefortis goes that her father had promised her in marriage to a man that she didn't want to marry, particularly because she'd taken a vow of chastity. And she prays to God to do something to prevent the marriage. And God obliges. But guess what God does to answer her prayer? God gives her a beard. He could have given her terrible teeth or horns or a tail or something, right? But he gives her a beard. To me, it said she's past her prime. She's no longer viable. She's transitioning, right? But basically, it says that if she isn't attracted, isn't attracted to this guy, she's not feminine. Oh. And that pissed me off. Mm-hmm. Anyway, to finish the story off, her suitor sees her and calls off the marriage and faints. At which point her father crucifies her because she's humiliated and dishonored him. Cool, eh? So that moment standing there, I thought, enough. This demands a response. So I came home and I started sketching my studio. Mm. And I'd seen a number of amazing works by the amazing painter Tintoretto. And uh, I decided to study his work, um, Tarquin and Lucretia, which is another major theme in European art. Well, Lucretia is a noble Roman woman, and she's highly respected by everyone for her exemplary honor and her love for her husband. Everybody knows they're madly in love. And he's a general in the king's army. Uh, Lucretia is attacked, blackmailed, and raped in the night by a guest to her home, the king's son, Tarquin. So in the morning, she goes to her father, who happens to be chief magistrate of Rome, and her husband, and she tells him what happened. But they take so long deliberating what to do that finally, in desperation, she cries out for vengeance, stabs herself in the heart, and dies. And her suicide so enraged the public, and this is apparently true, that this triggered a revolution that toppled the Roman monarchy and gave rise to the Republic of Rome. So I thought that was pretty cool. So I'm in the middle of painting this, this piece and uh, or sketching it. And then I suddenly had to stop because I noticed the expression on her face, which was completely blank. Mm. And that hit me. And immediately I was reminded of the moment when I had asked my doctor why I hadn't fought back when I was raped. And she mm. replied, most don't and turned away. Mm. And I found myself thinking, I got to do something about this. We can't continue retelling the old stories over and over and over again without considering their impact on society Mm. today. The Me Too movement was started for a reason. So given the abundance of artworks depicting hypersexualized women being violated, vilified or objectified, and given that studies show that just by witnessing someone doing something, you become more likely to do it too. I realize that these toxic portrayals of women in art have serious implications for society. Mm-hmm. And I realized I need to find new ways of looking at women in the arts because this will impact how we see and relate to women today. Mm-hmm. I figure if traditional representations of women contribute to the normalization of abuse, voyeurism, rape, sex trafficking, racism, and femicide, then celebrating strong women will normalize respect, empowerment, self-actualization, and friendship. So if I can change the way we see women, I can change the narrative. And that's what started my project, Eyeing Medusa. And then, concurrent with that, I launched into a massive study of women in Western art. And that's where you can see the results of that on my website, uh, under the Food for Thought link. Hmm. How powerful. Thank you. You're welcome. But there's always lessons, right? Myths, uh, 
talk about core values and uh, key lessons for humanity. So mm -hmm. I think, well, we should look at them, see what they have to say, and also consider how outdated they may be and mm -hmm. how we've been operating based on these old ideas of who women are and what women should do. And, and maybe it's time to shake that up. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, definitely. I think my greatest trigger for creativity is probably not knowing something and wanting mm -hmm. to find out. Um, I'm curious about why things are so, a sort of cause and effect and how one thing triggers another. I'm also intrigued by opposing perspectives on the same thing, um, whether it be an idea or an object or an issue or a symbol. And I love that there's no single ultimate truth. Um, in my early work, I had to find out why a strong woman is so often termed a shrew or a virago, which was a word I had didn't know what that meant, so I had to look it up. And then I was curious why the concise Oxford Dictionary cited three Greek goddesses, Selene, Artemis, and Persephone, as examples of a shrew or a scold. So that sent me off on a lifelong exploration into the relevance of mythology to contemporary issues. I got into encaustic painting because I didn't know what it was. I hadn't heard of it. And I was in the middle of an art artist commission. And uh, I would have been talking about this patina on a board that I was intrigued with. And somebody else in the project said, hey, you should look into encaustic. I didn't know anything about it, so I had to find out. And when I did, I completely fell in love with it. I've met a lot of people, I think, who are afraid to admit they don't know something. Mm -hmm. They're afraid of being wrong. And, they're, and we're all afraid of being wrong. We always don't want to look stupid. But I think mistakes are our best opportunity to learn. My advice to anyone would be go after anything you don't know. Mm -hmm. Find out everything you can about it because that'll lead you in completely new directions. <laughs> I think we learn on a need-to-know basis. I feel that way. I've been teaching art and music since I was about 16. And um, I think if you create a climate of curiosity within yourself, you always need to know. So like when I was a music student and I think of my own students, they hate theory. I didn't mind it. But I knew that when I wanted to improvise, I had to learn the scales and chords and the common progressions. So they were so helpful to, to creating things. And also to know the rules. If you know the rules, then you know what you're breaking and you, and you know when you're going outside of it and coming up with something new. Um, when I was traveling and I was hungry and I wanted to eat, I had to communicate with people, right? So I had to learn their language. And then not only did I get to eat, but I got new friends and, and learned new insights in the process. So I just love not knowing things because it's like, oh, good. If I don't know, I'll learn something new here. <laughs> I love the phrase cultivate a climate of curiosity in oh, yourself. Good. Good. Yeah. That's a that's a really fun inspiration and takeaway. Like how, how can you cultivate that inside of yourself so that there's that response to not knowing? Like what don't I know? Like looking outside of the familiar. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, fun, right? You, you don't you don't castigate yourself for not knowing, oh I didn't know what that meant. It was like, oh wow, what is that? And and you go. And yeah, I think I learned computers that way. Um, I started working on the computer uh, when I got out of music school and uh, I was trying to figure out how to get singers to create sounds that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was like, I wanted somebody to sing like a balloon running out of air. <laughs> so I was drawing loopy, crazy stuff. So I literally started 
with Adobe Illustrator on the on the first Mac that existed. And I was drawing. I didn't know how to type. I was just drawing stuff like a little kid pulling Bezier curves and whatever. Um, and and that sort of what does this do? Poof works. It really it's fun. You know, you don't you don't need to be afraid of it. And so I listened to my mom who's freaked out. Oh, something blew up. I was like, yeah, you'll get it back. <laughs> what does this do? Push this button. Oh. That was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's really fun. Um, so remind the listeners where they can reach you, go through your various contact points because so they can take a look at what you're um what you're talking about visually and also yeah. get in contact with you. Sure. They can reach me at amantascott.com. And if they look into my project Eyeing Medusa, which is the second tab on there. They can see a painting series that challenges viewers to look at women in a new light. And that project encompasses paintings and videos and interactive sculpture installations and workshops and uh, all these online resources, um, paralleling visionary contemporary women with historical mythological heroines so that we can recognize ongoing patterns <laughs> and learn from the past rather than repeating it. So, yeah. Thank you. It's been really a joy to talk with you, Amanta. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be invited to talk. <laughs> and we'll connect soon. So um, everybody who's listening, um, again, this is Hillary Adams, founder of Story and Horse. You can reach Story and Horse at storyandhorse.com. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram at Story and Horse. And um, thank you so much for joining us here today. I appreciate you listening and we look forward to having you with us next time. Thank you so much. Thanks for being with us today. Please help us spread the word by subscribing and sharing this podcast with friends. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode.